Liz. I didn't even pay Liz to say all that about um, taking God seriously. But again, yeah, I commend it to you. Um, We're there in uh, Luke chapter 10. Uh, This week, Jocelyn and I spent the week at a training conference uh, with a bunch of our young adults. We combined with a bunch of different churches in the inner west, um, wanting to equip our kids and youth leaders with the skills and the convictions to teach the Bible and make disciples this year. And it was a wonderful expression of our partnership. And uh, on Tuesday, I was in a meeting with the other rectors of the inner west, talking together about a genuine desire for us to see healthy and growing churches in Jesus this year in the inner west, uh, beyond the four walls of this building. Uh, And this week, Andrew Arrington begins as the rector of St. Stephen's in Newtown, uh, which is very exciting. We want to pray for Andrew and Lauren uh, for a long and fruitful ministry as they begin there. Uh, And Andrew and Lauren have asked their dear friends and our dear friends, Joel and Meredith, to go and support them and to walk closely with them as they begin this new uh, phase of life and ministry. And so we're going to farewell the Morrison Lake family this morning and send them up the road uh, to St Stephen's at Newtown. Uh, But we do so with the great conviction that we are genuinely partnering in the gospel in the inner west, uh, that we want gospel-centred churches to be growing and thriving and gospel-centred families to be growing and thriving in the inner west. Uh, We want to pray for Newtown. We want to pray for Joel and Meredith and Jemima and Hamish and Heidi and give thanks to God for them uh, and our ongoing partnership in the gospel. So why don't I lead us in prayer? Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you so much that when you unite us to Jesus forever, you unite us to your people forever. We thank you for the partnership in the gospel that we share with other gospel-centred churches in our area. And we pray uh, this week, as Andrew and Lauren Arrington begin at Newtown Erskineville, that you would give them grace and strength to minister the gospel with care and perseverance for many years to come. And we pray especially today for our dear friends Joel and Meredith, for Jemima, Hamish and Heidi. We thank you for their friendship and their partnership in the gospel and the thoughtful and faithful Christian disciples that you've made them. May they refresh the souls of their friends as they walk closely with Andrew and Lauren in this season of transition. And may they together bring glory to Jesus and walk closely to him along the way. And we pray that you would be with us now as we once again meet Jesus in Luke's gospel. Uh, May your word refresh our souls and make us wise and bring joy to our hearts. For Jesus' sake. Amen. Uh, Well, we're walking with Jesus on the way to Jerusalem. If you feel like you're landing in the middle of something, it's because you are. Uh, We're in this, uh, this series, Walking with Jesus Towards Jerusalem in Luke's Gospel, Uh, But my notes tell me it's week number 20 of our series that began this time last year. And so there's uh, work to do in kind of catching up to what Luke is presenting us when he presents us with the person of Jesus, the Saviour King, the Son of God. And so I commend uh, that to you to keep reading in Luke's Gospel, to meet Jesus for yourself, the real Jesus of history, the Jesus of the Bible. 
Uh, there isn't a more important thing that you could do. Uh, as we walk with Jesus along this road to Jerusalem, it's a picture of the fact that the Christian life, the life of discipleship, being apprentices of Jesus, is an active and practical thing. Just as our apprenticeships in our modern workforce are meant to be practical traineeships, it's not just sitting in a classroom, but walking with uh, a, a mentor in the practicalities of a particular trade or skill. We're walking with Jesus in the practicalities of everyday Christian life. Uh, And that's true and that's helpful and super important. But in the Bible, who we are and what we do cannot be separated, right? The things that we do in the Christian life, the activity of following Jesus and caring for people and making disciples is inextricably linked to who we are as disciples of Jesus, as followers of Jesus. Or, as Liz has already said, made the the reference to Thomas Cramner in our Anglican tradition. If you want to think about how Cramner set up the prayer book to disciple people week on week, is that he teaches the Bible through the prayer book in order that our hearts, our heads might be changed, our hearts might be changed, and our hands would be activated. Your mind and your heart, what you think and what you love will activate your hands and your feet in what you do. And so the Bible consistently focuses on who we are, the character of our hearts, the convictions of our minds, before we hear anything about what we should do. And so here in Luke's Gospel, laying out the fundamentals of what it looks like to walk with Jesus, to follow him as an apprentice, as, an, as a disciple. We keep hearing about the practicalities of the everyday Christian life. Last week we heard about the Good Samaritan, challenged to see that showing Christ-like mercy and sacrificial grace to the person right in front of us is a huge challenge. But lest we stumble back into a religious system of good works or law-keeping in order to be right with God, the very next episode has Jesus laying for us again the foundations of Christian discipleship, which is less about what we do and so much more about who we are in relationship to Jesus. So here is the uncontroversial and highly predictable two points from Jesus' teaching today. The foundation of discipleship, listening to Jesus with an undistracted priority and speaking to God with persistent confidence. They're the two things, listening to Jesus with undistracted priority, speaking to God with persistent confidence. Confidence. Pick it up with me at chapter 10, once again, verse 38. As Jesus and his disciples were on their way, that's the road we're walking with, he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. The time and place are fairly vague, but we're on the journey once again. It's Martha and Mary's home. Uh, Martha had a, a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he said. But Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. She came to him and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work by myself? Tell her to help me. 
Martha, Martha, the Lord answered. You are worried and upset about many things, but few things are needed, or indeed only one. Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken away from her. Um, Martha is um, distracted, Jesus says, by all kinds of preparations. She's trying to do the right thing. Hospitality in the first century was extremely important. Extremely important in not only honouring the guests, but in maintaining your own social standing uh, and caring for the people around you. All the more, made all the more important when it's actually Jesus who comes for the meal. You can imagine it, can't you, that Jesus comes to share a meal at your home and you can uh, imagine that your heart is pounding and your, your fingers and your toes are racing as you want to provide the best environment and the best meal possible to express your devotion, to express your love and your kindness to him. She wants to show what Jesus is worth, which is an admirable thing. There's something good and right But she's missed the one thing, Jesus says, that should precede all that, which is not the busyness of activity, but the attentive and the affectionate listening of a disciple. We show Jesus his worth. We show our love for him, not just in the things that we do to serve him and to serve his people. We actually show what Jesus is worth and our affection for him when we sit and we listen, when we submit our mind and our hearts to him as our saviour king, when we listen with that attentive and the, the attentive, attentive and affectionate heart of a disciple, knowing that Jesus' word is a light to our feet, a lamp to our path, that Jesus' word is more precious than gold and it's sweeter than honey. That Jesus' word, as I prayed just then, it gives wisdom to our minds, gives joy to our hearts. It refreshes our souls. Mary worked out that sitting at Jesus' feet to receive his word, To be shaped by his voice is so much more important than all the busyness of this life. We can be so busy in thinking that we're doing the right thing, that we're serving Jesus and his people, and they're important things. But if we haven't sat with an attentive and affectionate heart to receive his word, to be strengthened and refreshed by his voice, then we'll end up serving out of the dryness of duty instead of the joy of fellowship. Mary gives us an example, uh, Martha gives us an example, I should say, of the way that comparison is such a thief of joy. Look at what I'm doing compared to what she's doing. <laughs> Look at what I'm doing compared to what he's doing. Why won't they do more? Why won't they do more? Why won't they recognise and affirm what I'm doing? Why won't they give me the the affirmation and the recognition that I crave? 
Comparison is the thief of joy as we serve Jesus. And busyness is the thief of joy as we think that our devotion to Jesus and our discipleship to him is found in our busyness rather than the affectionate and attentive uh, listening to his voice. Uh, I find that um, one of the dumbest inventions in the world is a leaf blower. Don't you reckon? I feel like they just move dirt from one place to another place so that the leaf blowers on the street here might make the, the gutter look really nice, but now everyone has to wash their car. Right? They just create more work. And sometimes the busyness of our life can be a bit like a, a leaf blower. We can be very busy and very active, but all we're doing is moving things around rather than achieving a whole lot at all. There are important ways for us to serve one another, important ways for us to contribute to our community. But often we don't see those things in the discrete jobs that we can be so busy attending to. But we see those things in the messiness of life. Being busy at service might stop you, in fact, from being a listening ear. Being busy at service might stop you, in fact, from being a prayerful heart. Being busy at service might stop you from providing a welcoming home. Being busy at service might stop you from sharing a gracious sentence with a person. Often those things aren't the characteristics of a busy worker, but often those are the characteristics of a listening disciple who has sat at the feet of Jesus to be shaped and moulded through the patient, attentive and affectionate listening to his voice. Listen to Jesus with undistracted priority. Secondly, speak to God with persistent confidence. We pick it up at chapter 11, verse 1. One day Jesus was praying in a certain place. Uh, When he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray just as John taught his disciples. Uh, And thank the Lord for that disciple asking that question. What a perfect question for him to ask that's going to benefit generation after generation after generation of Christian to come. Jesus said to them, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread, forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone who sins against us and lead us not into temptation. It's a short prayer, is it not? It's a short prayer that reminds us of so many enormous truths, reminds us of how prayer is the response uh, to, to the conversation that God has already begun in his word, that we pick up the conversation and respond to who he is and what he has done. Sometimes I think we can be so familiar with the Lord's prayer that we miss the beauty and the enormity of it. 
Are you blown away by the fact that Jesus invites you to address God in the same way that he does? The son who has been in perfect and eternal relationship with the father since before the world began, who's come from the father's side in the most intimate of relationships, and he says to those who would follow him, please come and share in this relationship. Share in this intimacy and address God as Father. We hear it week in and week out. We pray it day in and day out. But there is an enormous reality of the fact that Jesus invites us to call God Father in the most intimate of eternal relationships. That when you come to pray, you are speaking to your Father in heaven. You are not addressing the policeman in the sky or the politician in the sky or the school principal in the sky, but your Father in heaven. And Jesus says as you pray to him to be concerned that his name is protected, that his name is exalted, that his name is glorified in the world, that people would treat God as he deserves to be treated, and that his kingdom of love and care and provision would be extended as people's hearts and minds are turned back to him. Lord, would your kingdom be extended day by day, person by person, in order that his name might be exalted. And praying to God for his kingdom to advance is a recognition that we are dependent upon him. And so Jesus when it comes to asking God for things, keeps it very simple. Doesn't ask for an abundance of things. Doesn't ask for comfort. Doesn't ask for things that are trivial. But contentment in the provision of daily dependence. And then he says that the forgiveness that stands at the heart of the gospel and our relationship with God ought to be the forgiveness that stands at the heart of our discipleship and our relationship with one another. It's a challenge, isn't it, to take that forgiveness that stands at the heart of your relationship with God and at the heart of the gospel and allow that to to work through you to shape and direct all your relationships. What Jesus' teaching in the Lord's Prayer reminds us is that you will pray based on what you think God is like. The sovereign Father in heaven who delights to give his children good gifts, who freely offers forgiveness and who protects and provides for his beloved children. If you think God is like that, you won't be praying to twist his arm. You won't be praying to prove your worth. You won't be praying because you think you've got to grab his attention, that he's distant and indifferent. No, you'll be praying to entrust yourself to his care, receive what he gives with thankfulness and to commit your circumstances to his gracious provision. Jesus then teaches us about prayer in uh, two particular parables and they're the parables that Luke loved to record where Jesus teaches something from the lesser to the greater. 
the lesser to the greater. If this is true, then how much more must this be true? Luke loves Jesus' parables in that way. And so Jesus picks it up for us in verse 5, where he says, Suppose you have a friend and you go to him at midnight and say, Friend, lend me three loaves of bread. A friend of mine on a journey has come to me and I have no food to offer him. And I suppose the one inside answers, Don't bother me. The door is already locked. My children and I are in bed. I can't get up and give you anything. I tell you, even though he will not get up and give you the bread because of friendship, yet because of your shameless audacity, he will surely get up and give you as much as you need. An annoying friend at an inconvenient hour will be met with the provision that he needs because of his shameless audacity in asking at midnight. If that kind of person receives what they need and require from a neighbour who is sleepy, imagine waking up your children at midnight to ask your neighbour for a loaf of bread but because of the shameless audacity, they'll give it to you. If that might be true in this weird and kind of awkward situation, imagine how much more then the God of the universe delights to give you what you ask when you come to him with the shameless audacity to pray big prayers in dependence upon him each day. So Jesus says, ask and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. Pray with shameless audacity, asking God, seeking God, knocking, and the door will be opened to you. Or which of you fathers, if your son asks for a fish, will give him a snake? If he asks for an egg, you'll give him a scorpion? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Uh, One of the great frustrations for me as a father is my own inconsistency and my own selfishness that gets in the way of harmonious relationships at home. But even I in all my inconsistency and in spite of all my selfishness, I love to say yes to my children. They might have a different story, but it's true. I love it when my kids ask for something and you're able to say, yeah, for sure, let's do that. Let's get that. Can we go to Cow on the Moon? Yeah. Let's do that. It's a great joy. And if I, the inconsistent and selfish and sinful and tired father, delight to give good gifts to my children, how much more the sovereign and gracious father in heaven who isn't wearied by the things that weary me, who isn't burdened by the things that burden me, who doesn't sleep or slumber, how much more would he delight to give good gifts to his children? And do you see that the good gift that God delights to give, the ultimate good gift that he delights to give to his asking children, is the gift of himself, 
in the person of his spirit. God delights to give of himself to his children, to comfort and to protect you, to remind you of who you are and who Jesus is, to point you to the great hope you have of sharing in his glory, to make you more and more like Jesus each day, to intercede for you with the Father, to remind you of the the comfort and the joy that Jesus gives to those who would trust and follow him. Friends, the application of today's sermon is to read your Bible and to pray. To read your Bible and to pray. It's cliché for a preacher to say so. It's like a cliché on steroids for a preacher to say it in January. And I don't know about you, but when I hear the application of read your Bible and pray, my first instinct is to see it as yet another thing to add to my list of things that I can't get to, yet another burden to carry on my already weary shoulders. But the application in this part of Luke's Gospel of to read your Bible, to sit at Jesus' feet and hear his voice and to pray in response to him in dependence upon your heavenly father. It's so important because Luke knows and Jesus knows that there is trouble ahead. There is anxiety to come. There is opposition to come. There is uncertainty to come. There is suffering to come. And before we move any further down the road, Jesus says, with all that in front of you, sit at my feet and listen to my voice. With all of that in front of you, bring your heart and your mind to your God in prayer. He doesn't do it to provide another burden for your weary shoulders or another job for your to-do list but he gives it to us as a fortifying reality that we might be equipped and strengthened and comforted and protected for all that this world would throw at us. One of the things that I'm doing in the new year is trying to drink more water. As I'm told is good for me and I should do. And it feels like another job to do, another thing to remember. A few weeks in, drinking more water actually makes everything else easier and is actually refreshing. It's like sharpening the axe before you chop wood. It's like putting air in the tyres before your road trip. It's not a waste of time. It's not a burden that hampers. It's a burden that helps. Read your Bible and pray. When Jesus says to sit at his feet, he's lifting your burden. He's providing rest for your weary soul. And when God invites you to address him as father and entrust your needs and circumstances to his care and provision, he is lifting your burden. He is taking those things off your shoulders. 
he's not just providing, he's not just offering provision and comfort and strength and peace through it all. He's offering friendship and fellowship with himself through it all. May we enjoy these burdens that Jesus lays on us. His yoke is easy. His burden is light. And you will find rest for your weary soul. Let's pray together. Our Father, we thank you so much for your grace and kindness to us in these words. And pray that we would heed heed them. May we sit with Jesus as an undistracted priority to hear his voice. And may we respond with prayerful dependence upon you by your Holy Spirit, rejoicing in the fellowship as well as the comfort and the provision of our Heavenly Father. Do this for us for Jesus' sake. Amen.